It's a great honor to introduce our guest speaker today. Uh, Bishop Carlton Brown is the senior pastor of Bethel Gospel Assembly in Harlem. And I consider Bethel to be one of the most um, uh, important churches in the city because of the impact that uh, it has on many other churches in our city here. And I truly believe that that impact that Bethel has in the city is a result of Bishop Brown's uh, leadership. I first met uh, Bishop Brown about eight years ago. Uh, we were both taking a class together at Alliance Theological Seminary. And the thing that uh, impacted me most about him was, I mean, I knew who he was. He didn't know me from Adam. And uh, what I appreciated most about him is, although he's, he's leading thousands in Harlem and, and, and ministering around the world, um, a, few thing, a few minutes with Bishop Brown and you feel like you are somebody and you have something to offer. And I just so appreciated the way that he affirmed and appreciated and really encouraged every person who was uh, within his reach. And so for some of our classes, I'm like, oh, that's Bishop Brown. You know, I, I, you know can I be in his group? And after uh, five minutes of being with him, he's encouraging me and affirming me. And I'm walking out thinking, I am somebody because Bishop Brown said so. And so, um, that's one of the things I most appreciate about him. And so uh, he's, he's, he's blessed us in the first service here, and I know he's going to do the same. And this is his first time preaching at New Life. And so you know how we do whenever we get a guest speaker. We give him the biggest Queens Boulevard, Elmhurst, Elks Lodge uh, applause we can. And so uh, let's do that as Bishop Brown comes to the stage here. spirit that's in this house and for the people that I've been meeting and, and wonderful people and it's not surprising um, Pastor Rich is easy to affirm because of who he is and it didn't take long for us myself to understand the anointing that's on his life and let me say this that New York is in an interesting place and I get to go to a lot of meetings as he does and a lot of the senior leaders of, of some of the major churches in New York leading churches in New York we're all about the same age, and some have already started to transition, even as you have. And, and I was telling him, and I meant every word, that there's a new leadership that's emerging to be the gatekeepers of New York. And, and indeed, I believe, and, and, and I'm not claiming to be a prophet, but I believe that this man of God is going to be the lead in New York City <laughs> among those churches that represent a gateway of religious fervor in our nation. And I'm not just saying that. I do not. You can listen to any tape I've done. I've never said that before about anybody. But I definitely believe, actually, I did. There's another individual, Adam Durso, who's also a tremendous man of God. And I believe between the two of them, I think he's a little older than you. I'm not sure. Maybe the same age. But these guys are going to be leading uh, New York in a spiritual revival. Put your hands together for a pastor that's on the cutting edge. Amen. 
let's pray. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to be here. We pray that you'll touch our hearts and minds and allow us to communicate your truth, your word, in a way that will impact lives, not just here, but those that we will meet along the way. Let your will be done, we pray in Jesus' name. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And may the Lord continue to bless us as we sojourn in his word. This text basically speaks of two distinctly different words. Rational and radical. Rational and radical. Rational, that which is based on or in accordance with reason or logic. Radical, extreme, especially as regards to our, the change from accepted or traditional forms. Rational, radical. A few years ago, I began to talk about this concept of rational, radical. I describe it in, in, in this manner. If you can picture with me, well, maybe you don't want to picture this too much, but a man that's naked running down the street. That's radical. Until you look up the block and see that the house he ran from is on fire. So it becomes rational. But then you see him run back into the house. That's rash, radical again. But then you see him emerging with his, his child, who he thought had already escaped the flames. So he ran back in to get him. Well... That's rational. Rational, radical. Two words that seem to appear as opposites, yet can be fitly joined together to describe us, to describe you. Because you represent someone who the world simply doesn't understand. They don't get it. They don't get your devotion. They don't get your, your, your tithing, your giving, your supporting. They don't, they don't get the level to which you can forgive and move on. They don't forget your sacrifice or your compassion. You represent someone who simply doesn't add up. What does living sacrifice look like? After all, they read that and say a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. A sacrifice is a dead thing. It's a thing that's been killed and offered up. But yet we declare that we're living sacrifice, yet we live. And Paul brings this out in Galatians chapter 2 when he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And those are, you know, kind of interesting words, but how does it flesh itself out? It fleshes itself out in agreement with Romans 12 and 1 and 2 with this understanding that we don't live according to the confines or the philosophies of the world, but we are transformed in our hearts, minds, our living experiences, our lifestyle, to live in a way that's consistent with the dictates of a God that no man sees, but we know he exists. We know he's real. We know it's to such a dimension that we live a life which is very radical. Those that really do this thing, really radical in the sight of the world, but it's, it makes sense to us. It makes perfect sense to us. Rational radicals, those who live in worship. The text speaks of worship 
And worship simply means worth. Worthship. To worth God. To really value God. To really value the things of God and who he is and what he says he is and what he says he can do. To get it to the place where you just do some things that don't make sense sometimes. And so I want to talk to you about three different elements that come out of the scripture that defines us as who we are in Christ Jesus. And the first thing we want to talk about, the title of our message is Lest We Forget. Well, let's not forget. Let's remember, number one, that as people of God, we are called to reflect Christ in terms of our character. Reflecting Christ in character. That our character is what becomes center stage. It is what the world looks at to be convinced that there's some worth and value in this relationship with Jesus Christ. And we have an issue. The church is in a character crisis today. I'm not talking about your church. I'm talking about my church. We have a problem. Too many of us don't really try to strive in the development of godly character. But instead, we have churches that strive to develop themselves in terms of personality. We try to dress the church up a certain way. We try to present the church a certain way. We, we are attracted to certain types of personality, and we say, there goes success. There goes greatness. There goes a Bible teacher. There goes someone that can really get the job done. And the reality is, as I heard one preacher say, personality is like perfume. It always smells good, but character is what you really are when you're in hot water. Character is the flavor like a tea bag in tea. You truly see what it's all about when trouble comes. Let's talk about 2 Kings chapter 7 in terms of this crisis of the church. We have four lepers in this scenario. Situation is Jehoram, who was the son of one of the most wicked kings in the history of Israel, was now in charge, and he denies the voice of God that comes from Elijah. And as a result, Elijah gives him a prophetic word of a blessing that's about to come. Just like we understand that there's a tremendous blessing that's going to come, even as we wait on the Lord and be of good courage, letting him strengthen our hearts. There's something great and something grand that God is going to unfold in the world. In this situation, you had four lepers. Four lepers were outside the wall. Leprosy is used in Bible as a type of sin, but... Leprosy was a real illness at the time. It was a death sentence over individuals' lives. Just like we have had death sentence over our lives because we were once in sin, lost and bound. And so these four lepers were outside the walls, and, and there was a prophetic word that said the next day everything is going to change, and the famine and the siege is going to come to an end. Well, they weren't there to hear this, but they were outside the wall, and they said to themselves, here we are, why should we remain here dying and doing nothing about it? Why are we just here? We can't, there's death inside, but there's also death with the Syrian camp, but maybe we can find favor with them. Why should we just stay here and do nothing? I'm probably speaking to, to everyone in this room, and you, you just have this thing about you. I just feel like everybody knows the Lord in a special way here, but maybe that's just because it's a powerful church and everybody will come to know the Lord sooner or later. And because of that, you can relate to the idea that once we all were bound in that kind of sin state, and then we found a solution. We said, why should we stay here and die? 
In whatever situation you were saved from, whatever way the Lord transformed your life, you come with a testimony on how God did something great and grand in your life. And so these lepers were also looking for something great and grand. They just wanted to live another day. So they went to the Syrian camp. When they got there, they found that, true to prophetic word, the enemy was scattered. But they left behind food and, and gold and, and apparel and all these things that they, they feasted on. They, they, they took all the food and they took all, they hid some of the gold, they hid some of the apparel, they came back, ate some more. They were doing great until finally they thought about it. And they said these words, we do not do well in the ninth verse. Here we have good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. The problem with the church is that we have good news but we keep it to ourselves. We have the, the, the services, and we have the anniversaries, we have the church meetings, we have the conferences, we have the prayer meetings, we have the CDs, we have the streaming, we have all these things. And, and then when, after we rest, we do it all over again, do it all over again, all in the church, and realizing that we have all this good news about how God radically changed our lives. But we don't go out to tell anybody. Just like the four lepers, we need to come to ourselves and realize that God has been good in our lives and that we need to reach out to a world. We live in a day where the number of new missionaries is declining. 6,000 people groups remain unreached. Two billion people have yet to hear the gospel and more. Only one in 20,000 people tell the good news. 80% of foreign missionaries go to countries as nominal Christians and less than 0.09% of what Christians earn go to missions. We have a problem. We have four or five Bibles. We don't use them much anymore because they're on our smartphones. But there are 67% of people have never had the word of God even in their own language. But we remain personality driven. We'll run to conferences because of who's speaking and who's going to be there and who will be leading worship. But God is looking for us to stop with the perfume. He's looking for us to move deeper into a, into a character assessment and adjustment. God is looking for good character, and good character is the agreeable scent you give off after you've had a long soak. And in this sense, the long soak is in the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Whatever I was like and whatever I am now, there's always a character adjustment that comes from staying in the place of receiving God's divine truth. Not looking for a personality adjustment, but looking for a character adjustment. I don't just want to have good church language. I want to have a real godly language that produces transformation. 1 Corinthians 16, 7, the Lord spoke to Samuel and said, don't look at the appearance or the height of one's stature because that one I rejected, talking of Saul. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. And the Bible lets us know in this scenario how the Lord was looking for a man after his own heart. He said, there he is, and that's David. The difference between him and David is that in crisis, Saul and David, is that Saul folded in crisis and entertained an evil spirit. But the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 30 that in crisis, as Ziglag, that David soaked it up. David encouraged himself in the Lord. David remembered who he was and who he served. God's looking for that kind of adjustment in the church that wherever we are, whatever mistakes we have made in life, that there's a God that can do a character adjustment in us when we soak in his word, soak in his glory, and soak in his purpose. Be transformed with the renewing of your mind. That adjustment of truth 
that comes understanding the price that he paid, but also the power that he gives. Somebody say new beginning. God wants us to have a new beginning, and that new beginning is fleshed out when we operate in our courage. The second point, working in courage. Lest we forget, we need to know that we reflect the Christ in courage. What is that courage? It is to project and broadcast your faith without apologies, your testimony of your encounter with God, even in the face of adversity. It's for us to become convictional as well as confessional. Convictional as well as confessional. There's a true story of a woman who, who um, won a uh, sweepstakes. She was 72 years old, New Jersey. 72 years old, won a sweepstakes, millions of dollars. They came to her and said, what are you going to do with the millions of dollars? She says, well, I'm going to give it all away. I'm going to give it to my church. I'm going to give it to the poor. I'm going to give it to agencies that will help the poor. They couldn't believe it. They said, what? They said, you're, going to, you, you're a widow. You just won the sweepstakes. You have a couple million dollars here. You're going to give it all away? She says, yes, I don't need it because God has been so good to me and he takes care. They say, you live in this house. You don't have anything grand. She says, I don't need it. My needs are taken care of, but there's too many that have needs and I'm going to give it away. How many of us would do that? Don't put your hand up. <laughs> but one thing about this woman, she inspires that she's not just confessional. She's not just saying that, oh, God is great, God is good, and God provides my needs. He's not just saying, well, well, these are the scriptures that I learned, and, and I want to rehearse them in your hearing, and that's wonderful. But, but she's saying that the scriptures that I'm rehearsing has become a part and parcel of my life. I become not just confessional, I become convinced that what I say is true. You know, I, this is a powerful church, and your ministry has gone around the world, and we recognize that, and, and especially when you talk about our emotional health and emotionally healthy church, and we understand how many people can sing a great song and give a great testimony in church and say hallelujah in the right places, but let somebody cross them the wrong way. And for the next two years, the pastor and the staff is trying to bring about a reconciliation a reconciliation for those of us who are called to have the ministry of reconciliation. Now, what kind of sense does that make? Thank God, the good thing is that we do it in-house. We do it in-house. The bad thing, and we understand the difficulties. The bad thing is when God has called you to practice the ministry of reconciliation in a fractured home, fractured marriage, to practice it in a fractured situation on your job and to be the voice of reason, but we get caught up in the affairs, and, and we have our opinions. I'm so glad that when I died to self that I realized that my opinion doesn't matter anymore. It's not about what your doctor says, your lawyer says, what your friend says. What does Jesus have to say about the situation that you're embracing? What is Jesus saying? Now, that's radical. Well, you know, he, he don't mean all that. If someone hurts you, you have a right to cut them off. Truly? Really? Convictional, having the courage to stand on the basis of one's faith. The Bible declares that we, the righteous are as bold as lions. The boldness to operate contrary to the opinions of the people, even the ones closest to you, because all you can say is, thus saith the Lord. To get to the point where we come into that place of agreement. Courage. 
On 6, 17, 15, there was a shooting in South Carolina. We show the pictures of these who have lost their lives. Brutal day in the church. On that same day, that next Sunday, very next Sunday, after service, a woman came up to me and she said, Pastor, I didn't know her, never saw her before, but she apparently has been attending the church, like some of you attend the church and you've yet to meet the pastor. It's time to meet him, amen. And she said, pray because my mother was there, but she left just before the shooting took place. She said, I know these individuals who died. I know every one of them. She said, please pray. Pray for me. And I did. And we had already prayed for the situation. But I understood that it was more than just these individuals that she knew. There was something else that she was speaking. She was speaking about her own fear. Because her questions were those of the world. Where was God in all this? Where was God in this challenge? Where was God? This is the house of God. How could he allow someone to come and slay nine people who are about the business of God in a Bible study? Well, when I spoke to my congreg to, to those, my staff, we, immediately after it happened, I called my staff together on, the, um, on that particular day, and, and I gave them a word that God gave me very briefly. It comes out of John 17, first of all, where he says, I've given them thy word, Jesus praying. The Lord's prayer for us. The world hates them. I pray not that you should take them out of the world, but that thou should keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Keep them from the evil, meaning don't be overwhelmed by the events that take place, because prior to this, he explained himself. He said, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you would think he is offering service to God. He already said it. He already said these things would happen. So, and so said, so done. We don't have time to talk about Acts chapter 5 where the disciples were doing great works. And because of their great works, they were seized and they were questioned. They were scourged and then they were beaten. But to all this, Peter declared, we must obey God rather than man. And at the end result, after they had beaten them, the Bible says, and this is Acts chapter 5, 27 and 42, that when they left the presence of the council after having been beaten and threatened to keep your mouth shut, you were, listen, keep it to yourself. But after all of that, the Bible says they came rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease to teach and preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. That they said, great, you beat us, great, fantastic. Because it did not take us by surprise. He already said you'd be up to these kind of tricks. But we will not bow. No more than the three Hebrew boys bowed before the furnace. We will not bow. And now, 2,000 years later, we will not bow. They will listen. This is the beginning of sorrow. But we understand that we are anticipating something greater that's coming. Because we're going to have a great crossover. When character and courage emerges, there must be that crossing over that we must not forget that we must reflect the Christ in 
this crossing over into our anticipation of the great things that God will do. It doesn't matter what my eyes see or what my ears hear. I know it as well because there's a God that is fighting for me. I anticipate it. It might not look so bright concerning my condition right now, but I am anticipating. He has made a promise and my God doesn't lie. My God doesn't forget, but he's able to keep what I've committed unto him against that day. No one has to agree with me, but in my life, I am and more than just aware of the things of God. More than just aware of the heroes of the past. More than just aware of the promises. But I live in anticipation of what God will do. I told them about, we had Shark Week uh, in the summer. And during Shark Week, I happened to be right there in Sharkville. We were there in West Palm Beach, vacation with the family. And the day before we came, there were a couple of shark attacks. Apparently, the sharks don't read because we were told that sharks don't go into shallow water. So if you're like me, I like to stand where I can feel the ground in the water. I don't, you know, if I can't feel ground, I'm, I'm heading back to shore. And plus, I'm safe. Well, no one told the sharks. And there were a couple of attacks right up there where they came in shallow water. So when we got there, we heard about it. So we're on the beach, and, and I'm watching the people, and everybody's close to shore. Everybody, nobody's swimming. I said, look at this. Everybody's aware of this situation. But as time went on, folks started going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Everyone's aware. Supposed to be sharks out there. In fact, helicopters later reported that same week I was there, right on the same beach, they saw thousands of sharks heading north. They were looking for you guys. <laughs> and, and, and they were coming north, and they were swimming... And, and, but, but, but folk, get this, they were aware, but it didn't change behavior. They were aware, it changed behavior for a while. But after a while, we forget. You could be aware of stuff. Aware of it is not enough. You have to live in anticipation. Aware of promises and the goodness of God and all that, that's not enough. You have to anticipate it. The week before that, we were at a conference, my wife and I, and, and in the middle of the conference, we were in the room, and then there was this little special on the History Channel, and they were talking about this area where there was a shark that seemed, they believed that the same 20-foot great white shark was revisiting the same place every week, I mean, the same week every two years, and they were going to prove it. So they had, and guess what? To prove it, they were prepared. They knew who was going to work with them, their participation, and they were very particular about how they're going to approach it because they weren't just aware that maybe a shark would come. They were anticipating the shark. And so, so their whole attitude and approach was different. Unlike those bathers who were aware of the sharks, these guys anticipated a shark, and so they were waiting, looking. And when he came, and he did come, right on time, and proving that not only would a shark come, but it would be the same shark. The Bible says we are not ignorant of the devil's devices. There should be a level of anticipation in the church that takes us into that place where we participate, where we have prepared, participate, and also are very particular. That instead of us living our lives with this general attitude of the things of God, but instead we become prepared, just like the church. Acts chapter 2, the early church, the Bible says in the 46th verse that they 
because they were preparing themselves in anticipation, continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness, meat with gladness and singleness of heart. There was a sense of preparation. They were hollowing the ground. They were honoring the house. They were honoring the fellowship, the coming together. It just wasn't hanging out just to do their thing, but it was a time to, to continue to pour into each other our sense of anticipation of the promises of God, the purposes of God to be fulfilled in us, the power of God to flow through us that we can see the transformation that God has ordained should be part and parcel of the work of the church, that sense of preparation of not taking church fellowship and, and gatherings lightly, but coming, not, you can have a great time, but coming with a sense of awe. Somehow we've taken the awe out of the experience. We don't awe God, that kind of healthy fear of God. There has to be a preparation. Number two, they came with the participation. They had fellowship. Acts chapter 242 says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. There's a sense of, of fellowship, not just hanging out like we do sometimes at Bethel, but the kind where you can speak the truth in love, the kind where you have authentic relationships, the kind that is not based and built on personality. But even when I see the deficits in character, then I say, ooh, well, then my assignment is to help to bring you into the fulfillment of who God called you to be, to make my deposit in your life, even as others make a deposit in mine. That which holds us together and makes us an awesome body that transformed the world with our radical, rational thinking. Because we do it different. The level of forgiveness is different. The level of compassion is different. The level of giving is different. The level of volunteerism is different. Oh my God, if I can get 70 out of 70, 70 for 70, that kind of ratio. And then finally, how do we get there? Same verse, Acts chapter 2, 42. And they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Stop there. Particularization, that's a real word. To be specific and detailed. Know the word. Know the word. The Bible says, know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Make you free. In my own life, I had, I did this very strange thing in India at close, and the worship team can begin to move this way. There's a Nigerian pastor that said, Africa says, blessed assurance. The West says, blessed insurance. <laughs> we want insurance. We don't want assurances. We want insurance. We want something that we can put in our hand right now. But the just shall live by faith. For years, they were trying to get me to go to India. Pastor Benny Matthews and Agape Ministry doing it up in, 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 in an area where the Hindu presence was very strong. And, and I didn't particularly want to go. I've been all over the world, but for some reason I didn't, I didn't, I just, finally, a preacher whose name I can call, you would recognize his name, but he was supposed to come. He couldn't make it. And they said, why don't you call, call Bishop Brown? Ask him to come. He said, oh, he never comes. He's not going to. He said, well, he asked. Now, at the same time, they had one of their missionaries was, was martyred and had on the train had been martyred, mutilated. And just at that time when the call came, I knew this had happened. And when he called me, I said, I'm coming. 
That's rational radical. What sense does that make? You had a chance to go for nine years and never went. Now all of a sudden there's this uprising and they're actually killing off the ministry and now you want to go? You want to die? Is that why you want to go? No, I don't want to die, but I heard God. God said, go now. I said, okay. Go now when the risk is. And when we went there, they kind of locked us up and when we got to the site, they said, listen, we're going to lock you in these hotel rooms. It was like a jail. It was like you had a door, then you had a cell, you had a, had a gate. And they locked the gate and said, if you don't hear one of us call you out, don't come out. Because we already got word that they're going to invade the crusade. But you, we're going to try and keep you guys safe. But it was, it was a risky situation. But I knew I heard God to go. And I knew that this was a time that they needed to be encouraged by the church in America that was standing with them in India. And so we went. And, and God did something wonderful because we anticipated that God will have the last word on whatever's going to happen. And what happened is we had 35,000 Hindus. Well, some of them were Christians, obviously, but many of them were not. And they gathered around in the dark, and we got word that there's secret police out there, but it's also because they're also preparing for this great invasion. But we stood there flat-footed, and we preached the word of God. And when we gave the altar call, 500 of them came forward to receive Jesus Christ. Understand this. 500 into the light where their friends and relatives can see who they are, and as Hindus, once they saw them convert to Christ, they were dead to them, both figuratively and could be for real. But they came out, cut off from their families. They knew the potential, but they came out. Why? Because they heard the word of God preached. They came out like rational radicals. This is a radical thing. I'm putting my life in danger. But I come out because I hear God's truth. And right then they learn to anticipate the reality of a God that can change us. In closing, know that God loves us, God is able to keep us, and God is able to do great things to us. The Bible says these signs shall follow you. You control your destiny. You don't know when you'll go, but you know where you'll go to. You're in control of that. So be steadfast, unmovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Check your character. Assess the courage to project his word. And then let us all engage together in the grand crossing over. May the Lord bless us as we continue, Lord, to allow your word to find good ground in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. I want to invite the prayer team to come to my right. We have the Lord's table to my left. We are called to be rational radicals. It's the world that makes no sense the way Christians live. And yet in light of how God has been good to us, this is our rational response. And as Bishop Brown had mentioned, uh, if you look at the news, you see the world is heading in a particular trajectory. You see that the world in many places around the world is in trouble. And yet the church is to stand as a community transform people, bearing witness to another reality that is present. That as the world is going in their direction, the church is to bear witness to the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that means that we are to be people of character. The Holy Spirit wants to form not just good morals in us, the Holy Spirit wants to form the character of Jesus in us. And that's what we're, we're called to be. The word Christian just means little Christ. And when people see us, 
uh, they are to see the, the very presence of Jesus Christ in our gatherings and in our lives individually. And in order to live this kind of way, as, as Bishop mentioned, we, we need a courage that only the Holy Spirit can fill and fuel us with. And so I don't know what you're facing today. I, I don't know what stands before you. Uh, but I believe God wants to meet you in a profound way. And more than just us having church, they, the living God wants to have an encounter with you. So we have our prayer team here to my right. And maybe something Bishop Brown said resonated inside. Maybe you know you sense God speaking to you today. You realize, I, I just don't want to have good morals. I, I want the character of Jesus in me, flowing through me. And only, the only way that that starts is it's a work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And so we, we close with prayer because we want God to do something in us that we can't do for ourselves. And that's why we close with prayer as a place of opening our hearts to the Holy Spirit doing something in us. And we have the Lord's table here as well. Where we take and eat, uh, take the bread and, and dip it in the cup as a reminder that Jesus Christ broke it and bruised for us. That he is the one with the supreme character. He is the one who went to the cross with great courage. And as our model, we are to live that way as well. So you can feel free to come up the middle here. We have Benima here that will offer the bread and the cup to you. But however God, uh, however you sense God speaking to you tonight, I want to invite you to come up for prayer. We can't live this life without, uh, at another seat, community. We can't. We can't live this out without community. Bishop Brown will be downstairs, so be sure to uh, shake his hand and, and just thank him for serving us today. But as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands uh, towards heaven to just receive a blessing. And we close every gathering like this because this is a posture of receiving. And you cannot give what you have not received. And I believe God wants to do something uh, deep inside every one of our hearts today. And so with your hands and your hearts posture of receiving. Brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the character of Jesus and the courage of Jesus. And may you show the world a different way of being in the world. And through your life, may people be drawn to the love and power of and so I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the courageous name of Jesus. And the people of God said, amen. Grace and peace, everyone.